good morning again. I want to say welcome to the guests that we have here with us today. And uh, we have some family and some friends and some folks who are here, uh, I'm certain, for uh, Reese's ordination that we're going to do today. And uh, we got a few, at least a few of my friends from the other side of the swamp. Welcome. <laughs> some of my favorite people. You know, it's uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to emphasize in this service uh, man's call to ministry. It would be my honor, regardless of who it is, uh, but especially in this case, uh, it's a real honor as uh, we've done a lot of uh, life together. I'm going to comment, I'm going to read and comment on just a few passages of Scripture, and then we're going to move into the actual time of ordination, of setting apart for the calling of ministry for uh, Reese and Annette. You know, I, I can't help but sing that. Every time I sing that song or hear that song, I always think of this. The first time I ever went to the island nation of Haiti, which God used to really, really seriously and profound and significant ways transform the life of uh, Christina and, how do you say that, Reese? How do you properly edit that? My and Christina's marriage? Christina and I's what marriage? I have no idea. Us. Our marriage. Yes. And, uh, uh, and our family's life and uh, our ministry. And I remember the first time I went, Christina had gone in June of 2013 and then, and then quite nearly literally dragged me back in, in September of 2013. And, uh, you know, I don't swim, I do now, but I never swam in the ocean my whole life. Not once. I grew up as a kid watching every episode every year of Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> And uh, I have a relationship with sharks that very much borders on phobic. And uh, it may be a legitimate phobia. I once walked on water running out of an ocean beach when she had convinced me to go in ankle deep because I was convinced there was a giant bull shark passing in Florida. It turned out to be a manatee. Manatees are tough, though. You don't know what that thing could do. And uh, afterwards, you know, they're, they're, the family that was still in the water was like, hey, you didn't even try to save any of us. I said, I yelled, get out of the water. You didn't hear? You can't. Hey, this is a shark. This is a whole different level. I'll defend you from a human, not that thing. It's every man, woman, and child for himself. Just throw the baby out of the water and run. And, um, man, well, I, when I went in September of 2013 to Haiti, I met a, a man who's become a, a friend of mine, uh, a missionary there named Eric Reem. And uh, Eric is like an ocean man. He was a missionary in Fiji doing cliff diving and stuff. Like he's always in the water. And so he persuaded me to go snorkeling in St. Mark, Haiti, which is an interesting experience all by itself because there's a lot of things other than sea life under that uh, part of the uh, country of Haiti. Lots of like vehicles and garbage and lots of stuff. And um, so he persuaded me to go. And uh, I said, okay, you know what? I never thought I would go to a place like Haiti, so if I should get eaten by a, by a bull shark in Haiti, so be it. At least, I'd never thought I'd make it this far 
whatever. I guess I'm trusting God with everything. I'll go. Sure, Eric, let's go snorkeling. That sounds fabulous. And uh, so I did it. And I was swimming, and I, to be honest, the whole time I was looking in the murky water, just convinced that some giant tiger shark or something was going to come get me. Uh, all I got bitten by were jellyfish, and many of them, and that hurt really bad. You should fear jellyfish probably more than sharks. And um, here, here's why I just share that little story by way of introduction to this. We just sang that song that is rather poignantly talking about, Holy Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Take me to wherever you have for me to go. Right? Like you shouldn't sing that to God if you don't mean it. It feels like some kind of weird blasphemy to me. It's like hard. Like that statement is, that you, that's a dangerous statement to say to God. Hey God, take me wherever you want me to go. You better watch out what he might have in mind to do in your life. And I, and I, uh, you know, I was talking to the man who would eventually become the director of ministries in Haiti, Gary, who at the time was was uh, working for us as a security guard when our family lived there. And I said, yeah, but, you know, there's no sharks here, right, Gary? So I should feel safe with this. You know, there's no sharks. You guys overfish this ocean like it's nobody's business. I've seen crab that big get pulled out to put get put in a soup, you know. He says, oh, there's no sharks. It's Creole. Oh. He said, what about the, what about the uh, 12-footer I caught last summer? I said, I don't want to hear anything more about that. You let me believe there's no... I said, but those are way out away from the beach, right? Those are out, out by Loganov, out by the island. He's like, oh, are they? <laughs> I said, yeah, they are. And that's the end of this discussion. Listen, you don't know what's going to happen when you have the willingness to say, use me, God, here am I, send me. You don't know what's going to happen. For the record, I had a very similar experience when in 2011, I moved to Suffolk, Virginia to pastor Cypress Chapel Christian Church. I had no idea about the horse flies. Just for the record. So you don't know what you're going to find when God calls you and you're willing to submit to the calling. And that's true for every one of us, whether it's a call to the mission field, call to pastoral ministry, you don't know what you're going to find. Whether it's a call to do something in your life, in your home, God calls you, I need to take more seriously discipling my children. Well, you're going to open up a whole new level of experience of your need to depend on God, whatever it is. You don't know what you'll find. But in that place where the sharks live, there is also new power that you can't imagine because you don't know what you don't know. And when you discover the unknown, then all of a sudden, the same God who would have you swimming with sharks will also protect you and give you the courage. I watched a show last night of a guy spearfishing, diving out in the middle of the, of the ocean for a giant yellowfin tuna. And this guy, he, he shot the spear. Christina and I were watching it late last night. He shot the spear. He caught the yellowfin tuna like a 300-pound, 200-pound fish. He started pulling it up, and they're just in a whole school of Galapagos sharks. I know all about sharks. Just ask me. I know all about them. A whole school of Galapagos sharks came to get that yellowfin tuna. And I watched this guy have the courage to bear hug his tuna and punch sharks to get away from him. And I'm like, not me. That ain't going to happen. 
But you don't know because when God calls you to swim in unknown waters, He'll also give you the courage and the protection to do what it is you have to do. All of a sudden, you'll find things. I, I tried my whole life to learn a language. And then in Haiti, I watched my kids just do it without trying. And Gary put his hands on me one day and said, I'm going to pray for you to have the gift of tongues. You're going to learn this language. I still mess it up, but I can speak it. God will do what is necessary to give you what you need to advance in the calling that He puts on your life, whatever that is. And each one of us has a calling on our life. And the Lord will equip you to swim with sharks. You never know. He might lead you to lead a few of those sharks to Christ. They'll become new creations. So I'm going to share with you from three passages of Scripture and just comment briefly on them. John chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. And this is Jesus talking. He's talking here about the vine and the branches. If you know, if you abide in me, you can do all things. I am the vine and you are the branches, he says in verse 5, leading up to verses 16 and 17. John 15, 16. And 17, you did not choose me. Reese had a very fruitful ordination council yesterday, a vicinage council or ordination council. And among the things I listened to him testify is God only could do this in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I know you really well. (laughs) Only God could do that in your life. And the same is true for us all. Regardless of who you think you are, where you think you are on the journey of faith, maybe you're not even like, sure, like, I don't even know if I'm into any of this stuff. It all sounds like swim with sharks. I don't want to swim with sharks. Not in my, I don't do that. I don't want to serve a God who might call me to do something dangerous or uncomfortable. Wherever you're at, whether you are actively pursuing Christ or otherwise, it's not we who first loved Him, but He who first loved us and makes available to us salvation in Him. And then all of a sudden, when we find ourselves alive in Jesus Christ, all of our priorities begin to slowly change. You didn't choose me, Jesus is telling them, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What else is going to last? What work can we engage in in this world that will not necessarily fall apart? Imagine the woodworker who carves a beautiful woodwork, some beautiful statuary. No matter how many coats of varnish and protectant are upon it, there will come a day when if someone doesn't maintain that, it will begin to degrade. And there will necessarily come a day, no matter how much it's protected, that it will fade away. And you say, yeah, but I'm a metal worker. I'll weld it. Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures in this world where moth and rust corrupts. Nothing done in this life will permanently last. So what's the fruit that matters? Go bear spiritual fruit. Go lead someone to Christ so that they might live eternally and rather than perish and only ever know the hell that was their existence in this life if they had no hope 
no meaning and no purpose, and then to, to die and pass into further hopelessness and meaningless. Go and help them out of their misery and bear fruit that lasts, Jesus says. How? This is my command. Love each other. Boy, that sure does sound simple. Love each other. The Lord is calling all those whom He calls into a covenant-connected community life with Him that extends out to one another that's known exclusively and exhaustively by love. This is my commandment. Love one another. Now, here's two more passages of Scripture, both of which deal rather directly with topics closely related to or directly to ordination, or that is God's calling, setting you apart for a specific task or a specific work. And don't be fooled whether you've ever had a council and a committee and the laying on of hands and all of that. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, all of this applies to all of us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is fascinating. And uh, I've heard Reese cite this passage more than once in the time that we've been friends. For we are God's workmanship. Where did it begin? Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you. And what else does the Bible say about his choice? Jesus didn't say, I chose you because you disciples are the prettiest, coolest, kindest, smartest, bestest people that I could find. Not at all. Time and again, the general motif and theme is found throughout the Old and New Testaments that God chooses the weak so that his strength might be manifest, so that he can put on display that the wisdom of this world is folly so that he might be glorified in us. You can kind of look at this verse, I think, and you could break it apart into three sections, perhaps, that are in some sense chronological. For we are God's workmanship. If God uses you, who made you capable to do it? Well, God. He crafted you. You're the woodwork. You're the statue. You're the clay that being molded into the image of Jesus Christ. So where does it begin? Any work that is done for the Lord in connection with that passage in John, any fruit that is eternal, any fruit that is born that is worth bearing, is the consequence of God's sovereign, beautiful, wondrous, unimaginable, superabundantly loving work inside of us. It's not something that we did or we can do. He calls us out. Go swim with the sharks. I'm going to strengthen you. I'll protect you. So it begins with God. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The good works follow the recreation, the new birth in Christ Jesus. So in other words, it's all fruit-bearing because we who once were a dead thorn bush have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Now we can become a fruit-bearing tree. Our good works follow... God's plan, God's salvation in us, now we can bear fruit. 
Because we who were once dead in trespass and sin have now become alive in Jesus Christ. Predicated only upon receiving the gift of God's grace by way of faith. And what is faith? Does that mean you, you know, does that mean you know that you know that you know that you know? That's how I heard it when I was growing up. When I was 16 and I was saved in an Assemblies of God church, I remember an evangelist coming through, he said, this is faith, that you know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus was raised from the dead. Oh, maybe. It occurs to me that faith is a gift given by God and that faith, sometimes Jesus said something about it being like a mustard seed, this little bitty thing. So, so faith is my willingness to maybe in the beginning to live as though Jesus was raised from the dead and, and to taste of God and see that he's good and then all of a sudden have that faith reaffirmed by the witness of the power of God in my life. For some people, faith... Maybe for everybody, I think the Bible says something like faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so, so we've got to first start to care enough to, to, to invest into what God's word says. Then all of a sudden, if we put that faith into practice, now little at a time, it'll build and it'll grow and it'll be strengthened. I don't think faith is knowing that you know that you know that you know. Maybe for somebody it is. I think faith is willingness to step out of the boat and just start to walk on those waters that we just sang about. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the most fascinating, to me, part of the calling of God in the life of the Christian to do good works after God saves you based only on His grace and the little bitty faith to say, I believe, I, I, I want to believe, I'm going to try to believe. And then when the Holy Spirit comes into you and awakens you to new life, now all of a sudden, I believe. I know. I know because of my personal experience of him working in me. And now I can see the fruit. Now that now I'm different. I'm, I'm existentially not the same. Experientially. My experience of myself in this world. Oh my gosh, I'm swimming with sharks. I still can remember. I was, you, know, you know a shark has little, little tools in his nose. He can, he can sense the electric impulses of your heartbeat. I remember swimming in St. Mark and my heart's pounding because I was so terrified of the sharks. And I'm like, I've got to relax. The sharks, can, they can sense that. They got the most finely attuned electronics in the, in, on the planet. And a, 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 an F-16 fighter got nothing on a shark. And then all of a sudden you're swimming with sharks and you're like, how did I get here? I'm standing in the yard in Moe, Haiti, talking to Gary one day about maybe someday we could build a house for somebody. Me and Christina and him. Maybe someday we could help some of these old people. God, smiling from heaven, already it was done. We just hadn't walked into it yet. Listen, even if you are not a believer and far from Christ today, there may be yet good works already set aside for you to do, and you're just waiting to be led into relationship with Christ to get on that path to go to that place of immense beauty where all of a sudden swimming with sharks seems like a good idea ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 i'm going to read this comment on it briefly and then i'm going to ask uh, reese to come up front ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 for this reason i kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray 
that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. There is a kind of strength necessary for all callings of God, and I would argue rather explicitly necessary for the pastoral ministry. There is a great need for power that can come only from God. There is a great need for God to transform a man, his servant, from someone who's self-seeking into someone who's seeking the welfare of others. There's a place of compassion. I remember one time I was telling Ephraim this story the other day. I'm always trying to prepare him for his life of ministry in the future. And uh, uh, I was telling him this story. I, I had a friend growing up in Montana who was a, uh, a sort of a shepherd. He, he, his family, they had sheep on their property. And uh, one day, at the time I was boxing, you know, I, had, I, had, I think I had just won a state championship, so I had like a big head. And uh, don't worry, it got deflated real badly the next fight. And uh, so, so, uh, so anyway, I was, I was out in the field, and we were going to go feed his sheep. And uh, so we went out and had a big pan. Let's say, well, there's money under there. Let's not use that. A big pan, a big pan like this, full of sheep food, like look like rabbit pellets, uh, the food version of the pellets, the rabbit food. And uh, so I'm walking out in the field, and uh, this, this sheep, he tells me, my friend Jay, we're like 16, he says, uh, uh, watch out for that ram. He's, he's can get aggressive. I'm like, oh, what you, what's he going to get mad? We're bringing him food. So we're bringing him food. Well, as it turns out, that sheep is real aggressive. And uh, so he started running at me, and I, I quick dumped out the food, and I whacked him on the head with the pan. And uh, he kind of staggered and looked at me like, Oh no, you didn't. And so, and then, and then he came back at me. I dropped the pan. I'm 16. I was lean, mean, you know, mediocre fighting machine. And so I stepped back and I said, "Bam, bam, bam!" on the top of his head. Hurt my hands. I still remember how bad that 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 skull's like that thick. Almost knocked him out. Almost is a big difference between doing it when it comes to a sheep coming to attack you. He kind of did like this. Chased me all out of the pen. I never went back in Jay's sheep pen again. I'm like, you feed the sheep. I want nothing to do with those things. The greatest challenge to any shepherd of any local congregation or, or growing ministry or, or any place anywhere is that sometimes the sheep, when you're trying to feed them, they, they run at you and they, they headbutt you and they bite and, and sometimes, you know, there's this, this, uh, this phrase from Christian Counseling. A book was written by the same title, but it's an important book called uh, Hurt People, Hurt People. And sometimes the shepherd is trying to anoint the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd is begging the sheep, come out of your sin. Come out of that place. That's not a healthy place that you're going to drown there. That's, not, that's dangerous. There's a cliff. You're going to fall off. It's not good. And the sheep are like, get out of here. This is where we want to be. And, and sadly, a common characteristic of sheep, real sheep, and God's people sometimes is to follow the sheep that just is so stubborn, he wants to go in his own way, and then the rest follow, and then the shepherd is left behind like, hey, that's not good. Very often, those who are hurting want the healing least of all. There is a need for supernatural anointing and a need for God's people to adequately recognize what the role of the pastor is so that we can do that thing that Jesus said, love each other, love each other, love each other. That's not... 
that's not rocket science. If it was, I couldn't understand it. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. So there's power in love. There's no power in power, only in love. Together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In verse 20, I don't know how far I said I would go, but I'm stopping at 20. Now to him who is able to do immensely more, no, I'm reading out of verse three, uh, chapter 3, okay, whatever. Now to him who is able to do immense, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that it is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Now the actual passage I was going to read to you, praise God, I said as the Spirit leads, right? All right, Ephesians chapter 4, and if you wouldn't mind, Reese, coming up to the middle, I'm going to close with this, and we're going to begin the actual ordination. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. What we're doing here today is recognizing the calling of God upon this man's life, which I think is clearly that of a pastor and a teacher. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is the purpose of a pastor? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God's calling upon the pastoral work, and this is a challenge and a charge to Reese, and a challenge and a charge to this congregation. God's calling upon the life of the pastor is to build up the body of Christ, to train and equip the ministers of the church, because that's all of us, to, to share the Word of God, to live in harmony, to share love. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. If there is anything that Christina and I have discovered along the path of the pastoral life that no doubt I think bears evidence as both biblical and true. Well, those are kind of the same thing, aren't they? The call of the pastor is often misunderstood by the body. And that is, I would argue, a fundamental foundational reason why so many churches struggle in their ability to do life on life, loving one another and moving forward as a people. I want to challenge every member of this church, and I hope that it would remain as every, anybody else who would come into the life of this church. If you have the time to talk behind your pastor's back, you have the time to pray for your pastor without his knowledge of it. If you have the time to call him up to complain about some trivial matter, and they're not all trivial, not more than 
then you have the time to say, Pastor, let's get together. Oh, nothing pleases my heart more than when someone says, can you help me understand this passage of Scripture? Can, can you talk to me? I, I got this person at work. I want to witness to them, but how do I do it? Hey, my, my, my child, this thing's happened, you know. Oh, according to that, which if we stand on it, the role of the pastor is to train and equip the people of God to do the work of God. It's not so that he might be paid to do it on our behalf. I want to challenge you today, Reese, as I know you welcome it, and this body of believers to consider carefully what the role of the pastor is so that that relationship might flourish and function. When it functions and it's healthy, there's nothing more beautiful, I would argue, that I can find vocationally than being able to shepherd and guide and enter into mutual covenant where if a pastor makes a mistake he's got people around him who want to love him and if a congregation makes a mistake they've got a pastor who wants to nurture them through it always with the power of God as the wind that's pushing that sail God has always called his workers to ministry and continues to do so today God called Abraham, Moses, Peter, and Paul to particular ministries. In the same way, he calls us to specific ministries. In this service, we set aside as a candidate for a special call, Mr. Reese Spears, who has been called to the service of the Lord, which has been evidenced by me as his pastor for the last couple of years and his friend for more years than that, Evidenced by those working with Supply and Multiply in Haiti, where he has become like a father to some, where the whole community has taken to calling him pastor. Evidenced by the body of Christ locally, most notably by the deacon body of this church, Liberty Spring Christian Church, as having recognized what God has already done. And saying, today, we want to affirm that call. Mr. Roy Spears III, I'll use that once and then we'll move on to Roy Reese, <laughs> has been called to this biblical pastoral ministry. Have you considered seriously the biblical ministry to which you are called? As a minister, you are called to a higher level of responsibility and example than other Christians, as God's word has said. Be very cautious, those who wish to teach. Have you seriously considered the high level of integrity, morality, and Christian living to which you are called? I have. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, your personal Lord and Savior? I absolutely do. You do not enter this ministry alone, but with the help and support of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The great cloud of witnesses in heaven spoken of in the book of Hebrews, and the church universal. I want to ask the church to please repeat after me these words of faith. All of us together, I'll say it, then you repeat what I've said. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Savior. And my personal Savior. And Lord. And 
Reese, will you strive to encourage the church and lead the lost to a saving relationship with Christ? I will. Will you remain faithful to the teaching of Scripture, teaching the whole counsel of God as you teach in the church? I will. Will you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and work in union with the leadership of the church you serve, promoting unity in the cause of Christ? I will. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 gives the minister five imperatives to biblical ministry. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Paul writes. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul encourages ministers to preach the word. The ultimate measure of good preaching. Someone once asked me, what is good preaching? I said, I guess preaching that is consistent with the word. The good news is the message of the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Your ministry is to take the good news and relate it to life. Paul encouraged ministers to be prepared. I once read, I don't recall, I think Spurgeon said it, but I'm not certain. A well-prepared minister is more important than a well-prepared sermon. Because you cannot give away that which you do not possess. Be prepared. Paul encouraged ministers to correct. This is a law term for cross-examination. Our task is to cross-examine the culture in which we live. God's word never changes, but culture does. Determine the best ways to present God's word to the culture, the unchanging word of God in a culture constantly in flux. Never be unafraid to correct. Paul encouraged ministers to rebuke. In the early church, this world involved moral error. Ethics count in God's economy. Integrity must be at the center of everything you do. Perhaps in the pastoral life, the hardest thing to do is to rebuke, because I have yet to meet a pastor who didn't have a heart of compassion for his people. No loving father allows his children to stray into error that will harm them. He'll correct, he'll rebuke. So too, I would encourage the body of Christ to welcome correction, so long as that correction is rooted in the Word of God and from a heart of compassion. Paul encouraged ministers to exhort. There are two ideas here, encourage and urge. <laughs> it's urgent that you do this. The time is drawing near and Christ will return. It's our responsibility to encourage the church and urge her to faithfulness. At the same time, we are to encourage the culture to examine the claims of Christ and urge people to make a decision to receive his free gift of grace. This is the biblical ministry to which you have been called. I would like to invite Pastor Gene Prim to come forward, if you would, please. And um, 
Let's see. Before we do the laying on of hands, sir, might, might you sit up front here so we're prepared? I want to uh, allow Reese to say a few words, and then uh, Pastor Prem and myself and the deacons are going to lay on of hands and pray uh, for Reese. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Um, We started singing that song today, and I'm a man who doesn't cry much, and it caught me when we got to the line about God's abounding grace. And I stand here today only because of God's abounding grace. There are people sitting amongst us today who know this may be hard for some of you to believe, but who know that I was once unlovable. All right? There are people sitting here today who would say, oh, not so much now either. <laughs> but I was, I was unlovable. But God loved me, even in that. I was lost and broken and hateful and hating but God loved me through that God loved me when I hated him God loved me when I hated me and God's grace he just lavished his grace on me and he lavished his grace on my wife Annette he lavished His grace and His mercy on our marriage. He brought a godly man into my life who led us to Christ. And it all changed. Some of it immediately. Some of it over time. Some of it still changing. Okay, some days I'm still unlovable. But he has changed me. And we got married 17 years ago, right? Almost 18. Something like that. Tell me later if I'm wrong. I'm sorry. There's no, no fiber in that body 17 years ago that could have imagined that God had a plan to set me apart for his service. All I cared about then was satisfying my own desires. I didn't care who I hurt, even if it was the person that I most loved. But God had a plan. And God had infinite grace to bestow upon me and my family to save my marriage to save my soul and my wife's soul to give us a hope and a future because he knew then that he would have me stand here today and I take continuing hope now in the knowledge that the God who had the grace to begin this work in me 
has the power to continue to complete it. So I pledge to this church that I am, first of all, a work in progress. Okay? I promise you that. We are all that. But I promise you that I will work with you to make you see some inkling of how amazing that grace has been and how much how amazing it can be to you because I am humbled by it I am amazed by it I want everybody to know this God who has made such a change in me and who loved me so much that he sent his only son to pay for that sinful man's sin. But it didn't stop there. That would have just been mercy. That would have been mercy that I don't have to pay for the sins that I deserve death for. The grace is that he has adopted me as his son. I have part of that inheritance and so do you if you follow Christ. I have part of the inheritance that Jesus has. I have the eternal life, the, present, the promise of presence with Him forever. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amen. If you would, make your way to the softest carpet I could find within four feet of that location. <laughs> and if you would kneel here, maybe facing, and Pastor Prim, if you would come forward. And uh, I thought about finding a pillow, but it felt too like Eastern or something. And uh, um, the deacons, would you please come forward for the laying on of hands? And Annette, would you come forward, please? The call to the pastoral life is very much. Oh, you want to go ahead and kneel right next to him, too. As a matter of fact, I should have got the pillow for you. <laughs> and uh, the call to the pastoral life is, is absolutely, uh, there, is, there is no way in which this call does not directly extend to, or at the very least, overlap with and pull her into it. And uh, so uh, today we'll be praying for, in recognition of what God has done in Reese's life in the life of his family. And uh, so if you would, deacons, come forward for laying on of hands. I'd say what we'll do, we'll just do it this way. Um, why don't uh, I'll begin, Pastor Friend, you end, uh, and uh, then anyone pray as the Spirit leads. Uh, let's, and, and I'll ask you all just to, just to you know, you know, send a hand, just bow your head, join us in prayer. Uh, really, this is the covenant community of faith, recognizing what God has done. That's what ordination is. And uh, there is this sense in which some people say, well, uh, God called me, that's enough. Okay. However, God never does what he does outside of the church. And uh, so as a covenant community, we are affirming what God has done and covenanting together to move forward in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, God, today. And Lord, I just ask your blessing on Reese and Annette as they move forward into this new season of life. What a glorious and tremendous joy it is. To watch what you have done and what you are doing in their lives. I just look forward to all of the fruit that is yet to come 
from their humble submission to be obedient to your call. God say, I pray that you would pour out for both of them a great measure of the Holy Spirit's power. Cover them, protect them, strengthen them. Let us see the bounty of fruit that will come from this. Father, we thank you for this special event. We know that it's going to be just a very positive thing. And we just ask you, Father, to be with all of those here today witnessing this. Let us be proud that Reese is going to step forward and lead this church. We in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sovereign God, we're all grateful for the call you've given to all of us to bring us here be part of this, a part of your family. And we pray, Lord, that we are all good witnesses and good reflections of you to the world, that they can see you in all we do. Father, just as you have united Annette and Reese as one in marriage, unite them as one in this ministry for Christ's sake. thank you for Reese. I thank you for the willingness to answer your call upon his life. Successful in the business world, successful in writing and making known his viewpoints through newspaper columns, God, now he will present your view of things through sermons, through classes, through teaching. As he studies at Dallas Theological, Lord, may that education carry him many, many miles beyond the borders that you have set for him and for Annette. And Father, I pray that you will use him greatly in this church to encourage, to challenge, to teach, to preach, to witness for the cause of the kingdom of heaven about Christ Jesus. And God, to be used in a powerful way, not only here, but in the community and wherever in the world you might send this couple to minister to others, far beyond the borders of Liberty Christian, but into the world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, may he daily rekindle a call in the laying on of hands. And may he realize, as Pastor Chris has so adequately and so eloquently shared this morning, 
know that Lord you never give us the spirit of timidity and fear but of power and love and discipline and Father I pray that you will use him greatly in all of these areas may your hand be upon him and I pray for Annette this morning too the role of the pastor in life is sometimes really tough it's hard but let her stand by this man in a powerful way that doesn't just come from her love for him but from the Holy Spirit within her encouraging the same Holy Spirit in his life and may they be a thing of beauty to this fellowship of believers in this community and wherever they go that they do share the very meaning of knowing Christ as our Savior and Lord to know that we know that we know, but Lord, to live it openly, knowing how you work through your children in very special ways. And let it be an encouragement to the lost. Let it be an encouragement to the redeemed, Father, that we might learn from him and from them how to live for Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we come before you this morning in this service of ordination and setting apart. And we thank you and praise you for your call upon Reese's life. And Father, the call that extends to Annette's life, though she's not being ordained. That's the role of the husband, the man. But Father, we thank you indeed that you have set him apart to do this great work. We ask these things. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, one is for Annette and one is for Lynn. So, just a small token of recognition. Uh, I sometimes, well, with great frequency, I'm reminded of and encouraged of how much these two ladies not only do for Reese, but do in the life of the local church. And Reese, if you would, this is... uh, a certificate of ordination signed by all the members of the ordination uh, council, the vicinage council, the area council of ministers that came together yesterday. And uh, we all, with great confidence in the call of God upon his life, uh, signed this. And uh, thank you, Amy Ford, uh, for the beautiful calligraphy that she did on. Oh, doesn't that look nice? And uh, so thank you very much. And congratulations. Congratulations. God bless you. That's right. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.